Hi, welcome. This is Dr. Yishan, a board-certified sleep psychologist. Have you had this experience before? That when you cannot sleep, you try to force yourself to sleep, and you try to control your sleep. But the more you try to control it, the worse the sleep gets. Do you know our sexuality actually performs the same way? The more anxiety, the more controlling, the worse it gets. If we look at all the research, it's very easy for us to tell there's a relationship between poor sleep and sexual dysfunction and lower sexual desire. So today, let's talk about sexual anxiety, especially the sexual anxiety among men. So today, our guest is David Kalili. He is a sex and relationship therapist. And also the founder of Ross Relational Wellness in San Francisco. What kind of exciting topics he can share with us? Let's find out. Before we get started, I want to mention two products that I used and I liked. They are Pillow Cube Pillow and Quiet On earphones for sleep. Because I like them, so I'm affiliated with these two products. And you can find the coupon and links on my website at deepintosleep.co/resources. Okay, now let's welcome our guest David Kalili. Hi, David. Welcome to、um, Deep Into Sleep podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm really excited to have you because I know you are expert in anxiety, relationship, sexual relationship, and、uh, I'm sure you have a lot to share with us today. How about you introduce yourself to the audience first? Great, yeah. Thank you for so much for having me.、Uh, my name is David Kalili. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in California. I'm also a board certified、uh, sexologist, and I've been in the world of sexual wellness for about 20 years. And I've been a therapist for about 10 or 12 years. I forget sometimes when I started. <laughs> and I work a lot with individuals, relationships, and also I do groups for men who have anxiety around sex and relationships. And my primary focus is. I really like helping people feel less anxious, less shame around sex and sexuality, and, and just more excitement, more confidence, more pleasure around that. I feel like we're told so much to kind of hold back our pleasure or hold back who we are、uh, in order to fit in, and I really want to help people find out who they truly are and how they love themselves, love their partners, and find pleasure.、Um, And so my my practice, Rouse Relational Wellness in San Francisco, we we offer different types of therapy to to help people. So I'm really happy to be here and just kind of talk about mindfulness and sexuality and relationships. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm happy to hear you have a group for men. But clinically, I、uh, I'm still learning. I'm in the journey. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Cool to learn from you. You're already board certified.、Uh, so clinically, I treated some、uh, men, women, mostly men, have you know、uh, sexual dysfunction. But a lot of time,、uh, it's anxiety related. Totally.、Right? Yeah. I feel like it's so similar to when I treat. Uh, insomnia patients, sleep problems. It's so somehow our brain. Bring us worries about certain things, and we、yeah. try to control it, and then end up making it worse. I feel like in that term, sleep and sex are very similar. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, right. It's that, that trying to control to push away, but in that kind of wrestling with it, you end up making it bigger and making it more of a problem, more of a barrier.、Mm. How often do you see the problem? Like people have anxiety, try to control sex, and then end up not doing it well. 
Yeah, I mean it's a it's a regular issue that I that I see in my in my work with men and and uh, people of all genders where they're really experiencing how anxiety impacts their their sexual functioning. Oftentimes they have gone to doctors or urologists to get a physical workup, which I think is you know the first thing you should do is just kind of it's a quick and easy sort of thing, and then they realize oh this is more about anxiety. This is more about kind of expectations I have of myself, pressure I have of myself, or my partner has of me, or I feel like society is saying that men should have sex in a certain way and perform in a certain way. And it may not actually work for who they are or their nervous system or what they like. And I found that over time, challenging those expectations or notions or narratives that they have to fit into a certain mold really helps them define for themselves what sex means and what pleasure means. And it takes time, but it's it's worth it. Right, right. So we we all know we we possibly all experience this that if we are anxious, you just tell them uh, everything will be fine, it will be okay, don't mm. worry. It never works, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Because you know what that does is is that it's an understandable approach, right? You're trying to trying to calm them down. You're trying to tell them like, Hey, don't worry. But what it ends up happening is it minimizes their experience it, for, for them. That anxiety is super real. It's very, you know, as you experience with and, and work with sleep, you know, it's very real and very present for them. And for us to be like, nah, don't worry about it. It's, it creates this distance, you know, there's, um, they feel minimized and dismissed by it. So my approach is let's understand that anxiety. Let's really get as specific and accurate of a picture of what's going on as possible. And we're not, and then the other thing that we do on top of that, which can be hard is to not judge yourself, uh, while you're understanding. I have so many times people say, oh, I have this fear. And then they immediately say, it's so stupid that I have that fear. And I say, hold on, let's just, let's just hear what the fear is first. We can think about it later, analyze it later, but let's just name what's going on for you. And I think starting there as a baseline is, is really, really important. Oh, I love that. So kind of like people tend to self-criticism and brush away a lot of things, right? right? And not really face the, the thing they just uh, say no to it immediately but i like your approach to really help them label it name it sit with it a little bit to, yeah yeah even though it's a unpleasant experience but it's important to look at yeah and you know when you said sit with it it's reminding me of you know acceptance and commitment therapy uh, act therapy is wonderful for anxiety you know it's a really good approach to acknowledging these difficult emotions and so there's one practice called expansion where you know we do so much work to avoid our emotions and especially anxiety or fear or, but with expansion it's what you do is you actually set aside time where you say to yourself i'm actually going to sit with this difficult emotion and i'm going to see what it feels like and really just be in it and you set a timer for you know a few minutes and then you keep um, expanding that time and it trains you and your nervous system that you know, anxiety is not as scary as you thought it was going to be, or, you know, there's different ways that you can approach it, different ways that you can face it. Because I think avoidance is a really big issue, you know, where men or people end up just not having sex or not going on dates. And that really just kind of compounds the problem. Right, right. And if they have partners, I can imagine, right? Because they are not confident in themselves, they have fear, they have anxiety, right. they can say no to, to sex, and then that hurts the relationship, hurts the partner's feeling. The partner may interpret that as a, you know, 
loss of interest or something yeah. goes wrong with the relationship. Absolutely. Yeah, I hear that so much. And that's that's when we can bring in, you know, the the couple into the therapy to talk about expectations and what the meaning is that each partner takes of the the functioning issue. Because so often the other partner and it, it makes sense. It's very common, you know, for the partner to feel like, oh no, is it something about me? Is it something about my attractiveness or sexiness or whatever? And in reality, it is, it's about the person, what's going on in their own head. And it's their own, they're very attracted to the person. And sometimes even the more attracted they are and the more important that relationship is, the higher the pressure is and the more the anxiety. And so it becomes this double-edged sword to kind of work with. Oh, that's interesting. That's so different than how we think about that, right? We think, well, if I'm so attracted to my partner, I, I love them so much, I should be able to function very well, but right. uh, they probably function worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's because it just, you know, it's it's like, you know, the high risk, high stakes. And so I think that's the other thing that we're working with is trying to parse out the, the worst case scenario thinking or the catastrophic thinking and say, okay, you know, yes, there's this fear. Yes, it's not going to feel great if you lose your erection or whatnot. But what's the worst that's going to happen? And how can you combat that? How can you work with that? And so it's really just kind of identifying what the fear is and what the reality is of that fear. And not to try to gaslight anyone or dismiss them or convince them otherwise, but we're just trying to get an accurate picture of what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And I feel like so similar to sleep treatment. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like don't catastrophizing. And even if you cannot sleep for how many hour hours you want, mm -hmm. what's the worst going to happen? Are you still able to function the next day? Yeah. Right? And how bad yeah. it is. So don't force yourself to sleep and don't force yourself to, to get hard or have sex. So exactly. go with the flow, learn how to go with the flow and manage your own anxiety. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of learning how to, how to go with it. Yeah. Well, possibly I, I know it's, um, Sounds very easy when we say it, right? Yeah. It's really hard for people to practice that. It, yeah, I often, I yeah, thank you for that reminder. I, I try to bring that into sessions quite a bit where I, I set the tone where I'm like, this is a goal. This is what we're aspiring for. Don't don't expect yourself to flip, you know, overnight. Mm. Do you find the partner support is uh, important for people's function and recovery? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like, you know, helping, helping that communication and openness and the support from, from one another uh, is really, really important. And I, I like to think of it as rather than one way from like one partner to the other, it's this whole system of how can they support each other. Uh, oftentimes I talk about self-soothing and co-soothing. And so, you know, within partnerships, it's really important to ground yourself enough to help your partner ground themselves and help have your partner help you ground you, if that makes sense. So you're kind of like working on your foundation and then the two of you build up from there with each other. So by having the support with the partner, you're not feeling like you have to tackle this all on your own and you're not wondering what your partner's thinking. You know what your partner's thinking. You know that your partner's there and supportive. And so it doesn't mean that you have the supportive partner has to have no needs or no desires or no boundaries. They can still have their needs and desires, but it's just thinking about the team or the unit or the the partnership together. Because mm. the other side of that is criticism, the frustration, the panic, you know, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? That doesn't really help with feeling sexy unless, unless that's a kink of yours, then you can 
agree to it later on, you know. Right, right. Yeah, there are so many different spectrum within the sexual sexuality, right? And right. what people like in their bedroom or outside, outside the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so interesting. I like the word co-soothing, soothing and co-soothing. That's such a great concept. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's... um. I think I've learned it through the the developmental model from Menlo Park, Ellen Bader and Pete Pearson. They that's a couples therapy model, and I think Terry Real also talks about it. But it's a really important thing to think about. You know, it's both you're taking care of yourself and you're taking care of each other. It's not only one way or the other. Right, right, yeah. Because uh, in sleep world, recently I'm learning this concept called sleep divorce. Right. Oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> when you know sleep schedule is different, or you start fighting with each other, criticizing each other, should you sleep separately? <laughs> right. Um. You know, as someone who I've had sleep issues for all of my life and uh, snored on and off. And I can definitely understand, you know, I've had partners be like, all right, you need to go over there <laughs> with your snoring. So I've had to work on, you know, different techniques for my snoring. But yeah, I felt that panic with sleep, you know, where I, it's two hours after trying to go to sleep and I'm just frustrated. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? I'm not going to be able to. And then you go into the catastrophic thinking and you get carried, very easy to get carried away and very easy to feel convinced by those fears. And so as we were talking earlier before recording was that, you know, it's very similar. The sex and sleep anxiety can be treated in similar ways as just really kind of mindfulness techniques, slowing yourself down, challenging your own assumptions, also identifying any potential trauma that might be related to this, these anxieties. Right. Right. Yeah. If trauma is in the picture, right. That's going to be more complicated. Can you please tell more, uh, discuss more about the mindfulness technique? Because I think some audience may not be familiar with that. They may hear this word before. Many people may not know it. Right. What that is exactly. And uh, why you think um, mindfulness skills can help with sexual anxiety or sleep anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. I I feel like especially, you know, in our present day, we are so encouraged, maybe even forced to just do and produce and you know hustle and grind and all that stuff that's being talked about um and that brings up so much stress and it also brings away takes away being present and being in the moment oftentimes people think mindfulness is this state where you just have no thoughts and you you know they think meditation is you know you're not supposed to think at all when in reality it's not trying to control your thoughts and it's not trying to control the present moment it's just taking in what's going on and accepting what's going on for what it is And acceptance doesn't mean agreeing, doesn't mean you like what's happening. You're just saying, I know what's happening. So if you lose your erection, the acceptance piece is, I accept that it's happening. It's not saying, oh no, it's not happening. Don't make it happen. Don't, you know, that's the panic. It's saying, Arya, my erection went down. And now what? Now what does that mean? And then you identify, okay, it's going to come back. And so one one sexual um, mindfulness technique is called wax and wane where the guy uh, masturbates until he's hard and then he lets go and he allows the erection to go down and then he masturbates again until he gets hard and then he lets go and lets it go down. And so you go through the cycle and what it shows you and your partner, you can do this with a partner. It shows you that just because your erection goes down doesn't mean that it's never going to come back again, that it will come back, that there's a natural ebb and flow to your physiology. So it may not 
match the practice of what we think is mindfulness, but it is, it's being present with your body and, and who you are and how you are and uh, accepting the ups and downs as it were. Another one would be this body scan technique where you're just lying down and you are kind of focusing from your head all the way down to your toes. And you're just seeing what's happening within your body. You're not trying to control. You're just taking deep breaths and saying, okay, my nose feels like this. My shoulders feel like this. I feel some tingling sensations on my shoulders or some heat in my chest. And you're just kind of going down slowly by slowly. And you're just being in the moment. And that can be a really lovely way of being connected to your body over time. Yeah. So sounds like a lot of time we, our life is too fast. Yep. Right. It's hard for us to even even pay attention to what our body is experiencing, where our emotions are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And what yeah. we are thinking, because I know I meet a lot of clients, they, they cannot distinguish between thoughts and feelings. Yeah. And they don't realize their body is tense up all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think it kind of just had the image in my mind of going to a museum and looking at a statue or a picture painting. And I think if we can treat that like kind of doing that to ourselves and just kind of naming what's going on rather than judging or editorializing or analyzing and just saying, okay, there's tenseness in my shoulders and my hands are clenching up. What would happen if I let go of my hands? Okay, my hands feel a little bit looser. And so kind of going through that practice and just being okay with what's going on. For some guys, I also recommend that they do the body scan technique while masturbating. That way that they can see what happens to the rest of their body when they get turned on and when they're seeking pleasure. Because so much focus goes on the penis, right? And the guys lose focus that they might have pleasure in their neck or on their back or on their nipples. And so really just kind of expanding your definition of what feels good. Wow, I like that. I never thought about how to apply mindfulness techniques in sexology. That's so cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, and my um I wrote a workbook last year called Sex Warriors, kind of like a play on warriors, but it's Sex Warriors, a mindfully queer guide to men's anxiety around sex and dating. And it's on my website rouseacademy.com. And it's a self-guided workbook for uh, men and their partners to do solo and partnered mindfulness exercises, uh, erotic ex mindfulness exercises, and also some prompts for guys to really challenge how they see um, sex and masculinity. Because I think we, we're told that we have to have sex in a certain way, that we have to show up in a certain way, which may be lovely and true and sometimes, but uh, other times guys want to show up in other ways. And so it's helping them define for themselves how they like to have sex, how they like to show up for their partners and how they like to show up for themselves. Wow, that's so important. Oh, I'm, I'm so happy you write a, a workbook on this. We're definitely going to need to put it on the show note and hopefully whoever listening, right, have the need can check it out. Absolutely. Uh, it's yeah. Very important. I know some male patients who have medical reasons and uh, they have ED, right? But so, so I want to clarify with you. So for men, even they have difficulties erect, right? And they can still possibly experience orgasm or sexual pleasure. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, they can. Absolutely. They, uh, you don't need to have an erection in order to orgasm or have sexual pleasure. Uh, it can be lovely and nice to have that, but I really want to encourage guys to consider different ways of seeking pleasure. I mean, 
sadly, you know, some men have have uh, completed suicide because of having erectile dysfunction, or you know, have or just avoid relationships altogether. When really, it's your penis is not the entirety of your body. You have so much to your body and so much access to pleasure. Your whole body is all your skin is nerve endings, right? And so it's really helping you train yourself to find. There's been studies where um, paraplegic men have been able to orgasm even without being able to have, a, a, you know, sensations in their penis, because there's just different ways that your body can adapt to what's going on. Right, right. So learn a new way of enjoy um, sexual better. Yeah, and uh, similarly to sometimes we have to train people in sleep training, right? To how to accept your sleep uh, it's different than before how to still be able to achieve a relatively satisfying sleep even though it looked different than before wonderful yeah absolutely i think that that goes hand in hand it's it's accepting the difference and to go back a bit you know i think there's some great technology um that's being developed for sexual functioning both for men and women um and for men you know there's there it sounds painful but there's shots that there can be done called trimex Obviously, there's pills. There's a new technology called uh, gains wave or sound wave technology, where it uh, loosens up the plaque in the veins in the penis to help with blood flow. Uh, and I've talked to some urologists who really uh, have seen great, great results from that. Oh, cool! Wow, technology is developing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I want to add another thing. I think sleep is also very important because for men who have uh, obstructive sleep apnea, yeah. very likely for them to develop um, right erectional dysfunction. Totally. No, I think that's that, that goes hand in hand. Absolutely. I think, you know, one thing that I've really learned in, in my work and training and also, you know, uh, tell clients about is we really do need to um, consider our mind and body together as a whole unit. You know, we can't, just focus on the, the mental or emotional aspects. We also have to think about, you know, what are the physical or medical issues that we can address through adjustments or exercise? Because, yeah, you need the blood flow. You need the the rest. You need your body to be in a parasympathetic nervous system state to uh, get to that uh, pleasure and, you know, uh, desire. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. I, I feel like I learned so much from you about sex, anxiety, and uh, all these techniques. Sounds like there are psychological techniques, there are medical treatment, right? Yeah. And just to find that, um, that at least sounds like very hopeful. The support is out there, resources are out there, and you can just uh, try to seek them out. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm learning from you around sleep too. I think it's Really, really needed. It's so needed right now to learn about sleep and help with sleep. Right. Great. So I hope the field, right? There's a lot more we, we never know. Even within the sex sexology field, there's so much knowledge. In the sleep field too, research keep on doing, like researchers doing new research, have new findings. Yeah. We are understanding everything more and more. Absolutely. Yeah, there's so much to learn. Yeah. Yeah. So another topic I want to ask you about, because I know you treat a lot of different populations within the sexology field, right? I know one of uh, the population you are familiar with, you you work with a lot, is the um, polyamorous 
relationships yeah. and couples. I got a lot of questions from my audience when I do sex education for the Asian population. That seems like there are a lot of misunderstandings around that. So I really want to, you know, discuss that with you for a little bit to clarify some some under misunderstandings or to educate myself too. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I would love to yeah help with because uh, there there really is there's a lot of misunderstandings and misconceptions and people thinking that it has to look a certain way when when it doesn't have to. Yeah, right. So one most common questions I get from people is you know in a relationship, two partners, right? Partner A really want to open up the relationship. Partner B does not want to. Right. Okay. But in order to somehow save the marriage, mm. so partner B will eventually give in to follow partner A. So basically only one person has an open relationship. The other person doesn't. Right. I don't think this is a real polyamorous relationship or open relationship, but I want to double check with you how, how to understand that. Yeah, no, I, I thank you so much for that one because that is that's something that's getting more and more um, uh, attention or understanding. And you know what that can be considered is um, a poly dash mono relationship, so polyamorous and monogamous relationship. And I know that sounds paradoxical, right? Um, but it, it's exactly what you're describing, where one partner is polyamorous, one partner is is open and seeing people either romantically or sexually outside the relationship and the other partner is not. And that's achieved through agreements that, you know, for one partner, having a, other relationships, romantic or sexual, is a priority for them, while the other partner, it's not. And they're working on their attachment style, you know, more of a secure attachment or just understanding their attachment in order to help with that baseline. What isn't polyamory is cheating, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, the other partner saying like, do you want to open up? And the other partner saying no. And that partner saying, okay, sure, no problem. But then still going out and cheating anyways. You know, I think polyamory or ethical non-monogamy has to include agreements or some understanding and communication with each other. You don't need to have rules and laws and all that. It'd be nice. I think some people really like to have those agreements, especially for anxiety or especially for like trying something new. But you don't have to. You know, I think it just depends on what works for you. And so there's different structures within polyamory, but I think it's important for people to realize that they can use that structure as a a goal or as a guideline, but they can also make it work for themselves. Okay. Okay. So, so basically it needs to be consensual, right? Yep. Each partner may have different choice, but they have to both know what's happening and agree with the arrangement. Yeah. And you know, um, you're bringing this up. It reminds me that there's there's actually been more and more support groups and process groups coming out for uh, partners in a poly mono relationship, either for the partner that's monogamous and not seeking relationships outside, or for the other partner, um, and just to kind of show that it is kind of increasing this agreement, where they're realizing you know there's other parts of our relationship that are keeping us together, you know, keeping our love together, or uh, you know that we love having a good time together, but just that sexual connection isn't there or not as much or the drives are different um, could lead them to that type of arrangement. I see. Yeah. So I think a lot of partners may have this worry, right? If one partner open up, will they just leave eventually the, right. the relationship, no matter it's a marriage or not? 
And I know there's a common jealousy feeling involved in the process. And I don't know, in this kind of a polymono arrangement, is this the original partner, the primary partner? Other partners are secondary or purely sexual, or it's different? Right. It's, so it's up to the, their their arrangement. But those are some examples, right? Um, it could be a polymono relationship or the polyamorous the, the agreement is that the polyamorous partner only just has sexual relationships, one night stands or um, hire sex workers or goes to play parties. And that's kind of the containment. That's the agreement is it's only there. Uh, no romantic relationships or whatnot. Um, in other relationships, the polymono, it's okay, I have one other partner and that's it. You know, um, it's, I have two partners and, and I'm good. And that can be the agreement. And so there can be different ways to, make the agreements work for the the partnership Mm, okay so when you work with this kind of um population do they need help to sort this kind of agreement out or what are some common issues they come to seek therapy yeah absolutely so i think within that just kind of take a step back i work with couples who are either opening up changing their existing agreements or closing their relationship after being open for a certain amount of time. And I've worked with couples that have that are very fresh in doing this to couples that have been doing this for 25, 30 years. Um, so it's been really cool to see the the breadth and depth of how polyamory can show up. You know, what can be really helpful for them in that process is helping with communication, how they talk to each other, how they uh, respectfully talk to each other, how they also talk directly about their fears, their anxieties, their pain. Um, and also their excitement and their joy. So trying to build that culture of open communication and then working on identifying their values. So like, what is really important to you? What are your guiding values? And using that as helping them understand, okay, what are their agreements going to be? How are their communication style going to be? Things like that. My, my background, both of my parents immigrated. My father was from Iran. And I love working with multicultural couples and people that are first generation. I'm first generation. And so also kind of working with some of the cultural expectations that we have or religious expectations that we have from either American culture or from our ancestral culture and really pushing against or just questioning, you know, what are some of the the norms or expectations that we have? Right, right. Yeah, I think the world is changing so fast, uh, right? right? <laughs> relationships, um, just the format of relationships are changing too. I think I heard a lot of lectures before from, for example, Estim Perot. Uh, she talked a lot of relationship and how in the ancient time we need a village to raise children, right? And that help with forming different type of relationships from marriage. But nowadays it's so different. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like a like a business contract nowadays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard some uh, some polyamorous relationship they have like thirty page long agreement. I I don't know whether it's typical or it's extreme case. That sounds intense. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's too typical. I haven't heard about it too much, but you know, I think having <laughs> having some like worksheets or some sort of agreement could be good. But you know, it also depends on the. The personality types that are in that relationship, you know. Yeah, well, it, that's very interesting. So, if a couple are thinking about opening up, mm-hmm. or they need some more guidance, 
right in the process. Uh, sounds like they can look for your service and right you, you, your group practice. And uh, I don't know whether you wrote any books on this topic or you have any groups um, resources available to recommend. Uh, my practice, Rouse Relational Wellness in San Francisco, we're actually uh, uh, just opening up a suite of offices in a couple of months uh, in the Castro District. So it's going to be really, really nice oh, cool. collecting furniture now. And it's been fun, fun project. I was just looking at doors earlier today. Anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, people can reach out to me at rousetherapy.com. It's R-O-U-S-E therapy.com. We have individual relationship therapy and group therapy. At the moment... We don't have any groups for polyamory, but that is something that we're talking about, given just the growing uh, interest going on. Also, you know, a, an author, Martha Kaupi, uh, K-A-U-P-P-I, uh, has written a really good book on polyamory. And then another book called Polysecure by Jessica Fern is an amazing book on polyamory and attachment. People can certainly reach out to me or look at my website. We also have blog posts on different things. Or they can check out these, you know, other authors. There's there's lots of resources out there for people that are wanting to open up. Okay, great. So it sounds like people can either get individual, you know, professional guidance, or they can, you know, read some books to learn more about this. Yeah, yeah. But I think you know, big thing is is helping yourselves manage your anxiety, manage your your fears and and um, excitement as well, and also working on different types of communication with each other. Yeah, I think communication is so important. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. No matter you are opening up or just, uh, you know, it's just a one-on-one -on -one relationship, you still need to communicate. But the funny thing is what people are so okay to talk about going to a restaurant, what food you want to eat, but they are <laughs> yeah. not good at talking about sex. Absolutely, <laughs> right? yeah. And both are about pleasure, you know, both are about what feels good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What do you like to eat, right? Okay, but what do you want on on bed no <laughs> yeah yeah and i think you know i've gotten the feedback from clients that they've you know they've learned about sex through working with me and all that but really what was helpful was them getting more comfortable talking about sex they've, we've been we've learned many different cultures that we just don't talk about it and just kind of building the practice of talking about sex and talking about what you like and what you don't like I think that alone is is really important. It's a really important skill to have with with your partner or partners. Right, right. Yeah, especially Asian population. Uh, mm -hmm. You are multicultural background. Me too. I think in Asian culture, it's still mm -hmm. a taboo. So it's um, yeah. yeah, definitely no talking or not comfortable talking about it. Right, right. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, David. This is very helpful information. And uh, uh, I know you already gave us uh, your website. And is there any other social media platforms if you, you have that you want people to follow if our audience are interested? Yeah, absolutely. I'm. Uh, you can find me at Rouse Therapy at and all the platforms. So R O U S E Therapy on TikTok and Instagram are the biggest ones. But I'm also on Twitter and um, and Facebook. Great. Yes, I will put all those uh, on the show notes. So when people are listening, they can find all the links all together. Great. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This has been really fun to, to chat with you and, and learn with you as well. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I think sexuality is such an interesting field and so much more I need to learn and I don't know yet. After get the board certification for behavioral sleep medicine, right now I'm pursuing the board certification for sex therapy. 
So I'm really excited to learn more and more of this and educate the Asian population about some scientific-based sex knowledge. So if you have any questions about sleep or sexology, please feel free to email me. Let me know. If you or your family members have difficulties falling asleep, staying asleep, or waking up too early, experience some symptoms of insomnia, please feel free to consider my online CBT for insomnia course. Both the English and Chinese course you can find on the website at deepintosleep.co/courses. All my listeners can get twenty percent off the course using the coupon Deep Into Sleep Twenty Twenty Two. So I'm Dr. Yishan. Thank you very much for listening. I will see you next time. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed.